Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and present them to you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hello. My article today is titled, The March Against Onychomycosis, a systematic review of the sanitization methods for shoes, socks, and textiles. The authors are Drs. Aditya Gupta, Aaron Simkovich, and Deanna Hall, and it was published in the Journal of American Podiatric Medical Association in July of 2022. As we know, tinea pedis and onychomycosis are common, and we treat them in a variety of ways. Sanitizing shoes, socks, stockings, textiles, and feet is also thought to be important to reduce spread and recurrence of these superficial fungal infections, also known as mycoses. So the goal of this project was to examine the different methods of sanitization for footwear and textiles and assess which are effective. The authors performed a systematic review, ultimately including 53 studies, and they designed they divided the results into different categories, which I will go through one by one. First, under basic sanitization methods, in general, discarding old infected shoes and socks is recommended to prevent spread or recurrence of onychomycosis. Feet should be washed and dried daily with socks changed regularly. One study found that in patients with diabetes, washing the feet daily was associated with a reduced risk of onychomycosis compared to those who did not. And it was also found that regular vacuuming, carpet shampooing, and floor washing significantly reduced the spread, the presence of fungi in those areas. Under the topic of antifungal and antimicrobial materials, there are several materials that can sanitize or prevent against superficial mycoses. Copper is known to have biocidal effects and has been put in fabrics for odor and microbe control. So copper impregnated fabrics have been shown to reduce the number of viable candida albicans in the research setting compared to a control fabric. And in the real world setting, Copper socks were given to soldiers, and after three weeks of wear, they reported reduced irritation, itching, dry skin, and odor. And another study found that even after copper impregnated socks were worn daily and washed 30 times, they still had biocidal activity against trichophyton rubrum, trichophyton mentagraphytes, and candida albicans. The other good news is that copper socks are widely available and not overly expensive. Various studies have also looked at the efficacy of chemical treatments for treatment or prevention of superficial mycoses. One study looked at shoes assembled with an adhesive containing sodium pentachlorophenate and calcium pentachlorophenate and found that those shoes inhibited the growth of T. rubrum, T. interdigitale, and T. gypsum. Various other chemicals interfere inhibited fungal growth, but the results have been somewhat inconsistent. Another study looked at treating tinea pedis with socks that were loaded with clotrimazole 
versus control socks. And they found that 77% of the treatment group was cured of their tinea pedis after just two weeks of these socks versus 36 of the control group, which is pretty good also. Under the umbrella of sanitizing chemicals and powders, terbinafine powder or spray reduced T. rubrum cultures after 48 or more hours, but the results of shoe-directed antifungal treatments are inconsistent because a different study with myconazole powder in shoes showed that it did not make a difference in reinfection rates of patients with onychomycosis. Regarding laundering, machine washing was found to be better than hand washing for reducing bacteria and fungi. Turning socks inside out to wash them leads to better removal of dermatophytes than not turning them inside out. And it is also recommended to wash infected textiles separate from uninfected laundry as high T. rubrum spore loads can be found even in the last rinse cycle, which could theoretically lead to cross-contamination among fabrics. Unfortunately for the eco-friendly trend of washing our clothes at lower temperatures, it is thought to be better to wash infected textiles at at least 60 degrees Celsius, which is 140 Fahrenheit, to reduce or inhibit growth of dermatophytes. Tumble drying, ironing, sun exposure, bleach, and activated oxygen bleach can also all help reduce dermatophyte loads. One study of something called sanitization putty for footwear found that it was not effective as an antifungal. Ultraviolet light is pretty well studied, and UVC light specifically has been found to be effective at reducing T. rubrum and T. mentagraphytes in shoes. Ozone gas has been studied and found to reduce viable fungi. Microwave radiation was found to significantly inhibit the growth of dermatophytes. However, um, unfortunately, most patients will not want to put their shoes in their microwave. Or, as the authors point out, it is not reasonable to expect that many people will want to own a separate microwave for their shoes and socks. A number of other methods were examined as well, and I would encourage you all to read this article to read more about those. Ultimately, for my takeaways, copper socks are a pretty easy thing uh, for most patients to do, and the evidence is pretty good, although it hasn't been confirmed with something like a randomized control trial. If feasible, patients should wash and dry their socks daily. It's best for patients to wash their clothes in hot water and tumble dry, or at least their socks, and ideally inside out and not with other infected, not with other uninfected textiles. Ozone and other proposed sanitizing devices are not yet widely publicly available for shoes at this time, so that's something to watch out for, but not necessarily something to recommend right now. So I'm going to update my after-visit summaries with these suggestions. Yes, that's a great point. I actually was going to mention the the after-visit summary as well. Um, And I also looked up the other article I recently read on this topic. So it was published in Mycoses in um, May this year, and it titled Disinfection Trials with Terbinafine-Susceptible and Terbinafine-Resistant Dermatophytes by Dr. Skastrup et al. from Denmark. And they did a study where they impregnated socks with different trichophyton species and then tested different methods of disinfection. And 
I'll just cut to the results here. So they found that soaking in a um, quaternary ammonium detergent for 24 hours had a disinfectant rate of 100%. But it needed the full 24 hours because soaking for only like half an hour or two hours had much had lower disinfectant rates. And they confirmed that you do need that 60 degrees Celsius or higher because domestic washing, just 40 degrees Celsius with detergent, only had a disinfectant rate of 8%. So we can say, emphasize to patients, it really needs to be that hot water. Wow. Yeah, that's really important. All right. Thanks. Catherine, tell us what you read about. Yep. This month, I chose to review the article Improvement of Pterygium inversum unguis in Raynaud phenomenon with interdigital botulinum toxin injections, published in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology in August 2022. This was by Drs. Kim and Odell from Yale. So for some background, Pterygium inversum unguis, also known as ventral pterygium, presents as extension and adherence of the hyponychium to the ventral or undersurface of the nail plate. It is typically associated with connective tissue disease, such as systemic lupus or scleroderma. These authors report a case of a patient with systemic sclerosis, systemic lupus overlap, who presented with uncontrolled pain of his fingers and frequent episodes of brain odds phenomenon. He had previously failed nifedipine, sildenafil, pentoxifiline, and topical nitroglycerin for his Raynaud's. On exam, he had skin fibrosis, dactylitis, erythema of the nail folds, ragged cuticles, and overgrowth of the hyponychium with subungual thickening. The authors administered interdigital botulinum toxin A, five units diluted in 0.1 milliliters of saline, Per injection site, and they went in at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock at the base of the second to fifth fingers of both hands. The thumb was not injected to avoid weakening thumb opposition. And within just one week, the patient reported significant improvement in pain and quality of life, which continued for four months. When he returned for four-month follow-up, his pterygium inversum had also improved. Injections were repeated at six months. Botulinum toxin A has been shown to be a promising treatment option for Raynaud's, but this report shows it can also be used to treat systemic sclerosis-associated ventral pterygium. The proposed pathogenesis for this is that the reactive hyperkeratosis is due to impaired vascular perfusion, so by increasing perfusion, the reactive hyperkeratosis also improves. This was a nice um, brief like article, and I will definitely keep interdigital Botox in mind for the treatment of this difficult condition. Yeah, thank you for bringing that. I do a fair amount of medical Botox treatment in my uh, work, mostly at the VA hospital, and but I've been hearing from colleagues as well who work in a non-VA setting that Botox has been more available for medical reasons over the last few years, and so it's been really great to see all the different great medical ways that we can use it to help our patients with um, these sometimes very painful conditions. Yeah. 
All right, Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we are doing and which articles you would like us to feature on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nail Disorders.